0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At Good morning, Church. My name is Duane, one of the lead pastors here at the District, and just want to once again say Happy Easter. Uh, this is definitely not the ideal uh, way in which we want to celebrate Easter with you, but Nonetheless, we are excited to be able to just lift up our risen Savior, Jesus, uh, to come to Him this morning, together but separate, um, as a church body, worshiping and just adoring and treasuring Jesus uh, for the fact that He did live a perfect life that we could not live and that He died a death that we deserve because we could not live a perfect life, and that He then rose on the third day, defeating death and sin and evil on our behalf, um, ultimately giving us that righteousness, giving us that holiness, giving us that gift of God's grace to each of our accounts for those who believe in Him. And so we're celebrating that today. We're, we're literally coming together to rest in what He has done. And as, Jesus, as Jordan uh, sung in the song that it is finished, that there's no work on our part to, to be done in order to earn God's grace, to earn His forgiveness. Um, but rather that God has done all of the work on our behalf in order to give to us. And so this is a a time in which we celebrate Easter. It's a time in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And the one thing that I want to do today is just simply tell you about Jesus. I want this day to be all about Him. I, I don't want it to be about... A pandemic that's going on. I don't want it to be about the fact that we're trying to do church via a live stream. I don't want it to be about those things. What I simply want to do is just focus on the person and work of Jesus and not only on his work and what he's done, but what that work actually has accomplished for us when it comes to the grace that God has lavished and poured out on us. How has God's love in the person and work of Jesus Christ how has it changed our lives so that we can be encouraged in times like this in times where we're suffering in times where globally we're, we're dealing with something that is very stressful and very anxious um, for many of us it, it's created so much uncertainty in what the future is going to um, hold for us but the assurance that we have today is exactly what the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ has ultimately purchased for us as believers. And so I just want to tell you about that today. Whether you've known Jesus for 80 years, or you've known him for eight months, or even 18 minutes from the beginning of this gathering, Jesus is not the only most important topic of our discussion, but he's the most important person in the history of our world. And so simply today, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and I'm going to tell you why it's so important. And one of the things that I'm also going to do, most Easter sermons tend to be geared towards uh, a non-believer or a de-churched person or someone who um, is kind of the CEO Christian, which is uh, Christmas, Easter, um, or other holidays. And so we kind of look to that sermon or this message geared towards somebody who doesn't get to hear about Jesus that often. But what I actually want to do during our time today is is actually talk to the believer. Talk to the Christian who knows Jesus, but maybe has forgotten in some way or another what Jesus has actually done for us and how that actually plays out in our lives on a daily basis. Because what I believe will happen in that is, is the more believers that are actually focusing on the life of Jesus and the more believers are actually meditating on all that christ has done for them the more impactful they will be in taking that easter message and actually sharing it with those around them so that we don't have to just wait for a sunday morning to try to uh, share the gospel with those who don't know jesus but we can actually share him on a daily basis so that almost every day is the Easter celebration of sharing and witnessing and, and just sharing our testimony that Christ has come and lived a life and that he died a death and that he rose three days later in order to purchase for us an inheritance. And we're going to talk about what that inheritance is today. But I want us to be reminded of this. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is going to be the text that we're going to start out in, and then I'm going to kind of bounce around to a few other texts. But 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to start out. And I'm going to start in verse 1. And it says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, Unless you believed in vain. You see, verse one is for believers. The reality is, you and I need reminding because we are simply prone to forget. We're prone to forget the truths, the beautiful truths of the gospel. Not only individuals, but entire churches have forgotten about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest churches in the Bible, the church in Ephesus in its later years, was rebuked in Revelation 2, 4 because it had literally forgotten its first love. It had great doctrine. It had great deeds in ministering to the poor. But it had literally forgotten who Jesus is and why they're doing what they are ultimately doing, why they believe what they believe and why they are ministering to the poor. And ultimately, it came down to it that Jesus gave them a warning that I will literally remove my presence from you if you don't remember me. If you don't honor me, if you don't glorify me, if you don't worship me, if you don't treasure me. And so it's so important for us to remember Jesus and to meditate on who he is. Because if we don't, then we'll actually cease to be a church. We'll cease to have the moving presence of Jesus Christ that actually provides the living hope that we need on a daily basis. Because we need more of Jesus every day, every hour, every minute, every moment we need Jesus. We need His gospel. And that's why the Apostle Paul here to the Corinthian church is saying, I need to remind you of this gospel. And so what is the gospel? By definition, it is good news. It's good news. And what is the good news? It's in verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The first thing I want you to see from this explanation of the Apostle Paul as to what the gospel is, is that it is of first importance. It's of first importance. When it comes to top priority, the news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gets the stage every single time. If the church strays from this reality... Then it ceases to be the church. Churches that are alive, churches that are vibrant, churches that are thriving are doing so because of this one thing. They're all about Jesus. It's not because they have professional musicians. It's not because they have gifted communicators. It's not because they have big budgets. It's not because they have perfected the right philosophies or methodology, methodologies of ministry. It's not because they have sound doctrine. What ultimately matters is at the end of the day, none of those things matter if both the church as individuals and the church as a corporate body are not all about Jesus. That's what matters, and specifically the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and as we are celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what matters most. That's what, as Paul is saying here, is of first importance. And so indulge me, church, as I remind you of who Jesus Christ is. And I pray that today it refreshes you, that it gives you an abundance of peace and hope and assurance during this pandemic, and ultimately that it brings you back to the salvation you have received, in which you are standing, in which you are being saved, as you are holding fast to it by faith, believing that Jesus is who He says He is, and that He did exactly what He said He did. You see, there's no one in all of history who is more loved and hated than Jesus Christ. The name Jesus is derived from the Old Testament name Joshua. It can be also translated Yeshua, which means Yahweh, God is salvation. The title Christ means one chosen and anointed by God to be the Messiah, who God delivers his people. Roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born in a dumpy, rural, small town. Not unlike those today where guys still change their own oil. Uh, They think pro wrestling is real. They jack up their trucks and throw big tires on them, thinking that it's going to improve their driving skills in the mud. I mean, I'm literally describing my hometown in Tennessee where I'm from. Jesus' mom was a poor, unwed teenage girl who was mocked for claiming she was conceived via the Holy Spirit. Jesus was earthly fathered by a simple carpenter named Joseph Joseph. And Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life in obscurity, just swinging a hammer with his dad. Around the age of 30, Jesus began a public ministry that included preaching, it included healing the sick, it included feeding the hungry, it included befriending social misfits such as tax collectors, drunks, thieves, prostitutes, and the like. Jesus' ministry spanned only three short years before he was put to death before declaring himself to be God. He died by shameful crucifixion like tens of thousands before him and after him. At first glance, I mean, Jesus' resume is, is really not impressive. It's actually just simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office. He never married, never attended college, never excelled in the sports arena. He died both homeless and poor. Nonetheless, Jesus is the most famous person in all of human history. More songs have been sung to him, artwork created of him, and books written about him than anyone who has ever lived. In fact, Jesus looms so large over our human history that we actually measure time by him. Our calendar is divided into the years before and after his birth, noted as B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, meaning in the year of the Lord, respectively. No army, no nation, no person has changed human history to the degree that Jesus, the homeless man, has. And some 2,000 years after he walked the earth, Jesus remains as popular as, as ever. In fact, as apostle Paul promised in 2 Corinthians 11:3 and 4, that the opinions about Jesus would or be countless in seemingly every area of culture. And we see that continue to be true today. So why is Jesus so famous and also infamous? As scripture reveals to us, it's not only because he was a great prophet and teacher. There were many great prophets and teachers who came before Jesus. It wasn't because he had a successful ministry. John the Baptist had a very successful ministry, but people don't bow down to John the Baptist as Lord and Savior. He's also not famous or infamous because of the form of his death. As we saw on Good Friday, Jesus died by the way of crucifixion. This was the common practice of execution during the Roman Empire. Hundreds, if not thousands, and tens of thousands of people were killed this way before Jesus and after Jesus. So the cause of death, nailed to a cross, is not in and of its own significant enough to make Jesus change our entire history. What changed human history, past, present, and future, is what we're celebrating today. The fact that Jesus Christ died and came back to life and what his coming back to life has ultimately purchased for us. His resurrection, plain and simple, he rose from the dead is the reason why Jesus is the most famous person who has ever lived and why he has changed more in human history than anyone who has ever lived and existed. And the reality is, and this is why I want to speak this to primarily believers today, and if you're not a believer and you're listening to this, I want you to listen to the reality of why this resurrection matters, why it matters. Because there's implications that come from this resurrection. And the implications that come from this resurrection provide something for us that nothing can take from us. No pandemic can take from us. No sickness can take from us. No death can take from us. No trial can take from us. No uh, pain or suffering can take from us or rob us because of what we receive when we trust in Christ because of His resurrection. And so I want you to turn with me to First Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. Josh actually read this um, in our call to worship this morning. First Peter 1, 3 through 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, this scripture here provides us one main thing it tells us that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have a living hope. And that living hope can be translated as an inheritance an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading and it's kept in heaven for us. It's, it's literally a, a living hope that God is providing for us to receive every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single moment for us to hold on to regardless of our circumstances. And the only people, seven and a half, eight billion people worldwide right now, the only people who can actually live with a hope are those who are living under the banner of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everyone else are living with an anxiety of an uncertainty that they have no idea what is going to happen now or even in the end. But for those believers who are in Christ, what we get to celebrate today, what we get to literally come to the altar and worship in is the fact that God has provided through the resurrection of Jesus living hope for you now. That you get to have peace and comfort that no matter what happens tomorrow, we get to rest well tonight because we have this peace and this comfort. We have this living hope. We have this inheritance that he has purchased through his life, death, and resurrection. And so what I want to just lavish over you and encourage you in is what this inheritance actually is for us. What did the resurrection of Jesus purchase for us? What has it provided for us? And when you think about the word inheritance, like what normally comes to your mind? I think about wealth that is simply passed down from parents to children. Right now, one of the wealthiest families in the world is not due to their own work ethic, but rather it's due to the inheritance that they received from their earthly father. I don't know if you've ever heard of the person Sam Walton. He started a small convenience store in Arkansas called Walmart. Maybe you've heard of it. You've probably visited it and have um, been there maybe several times in the last couple of weeks stocking up. Today, there are about 11,000 stores worldwide. When Sam Walton died, his wealth was passed on to his three children, John, Jim, and Alice. Between those three kids, they're worth $120 billion. You think you could live off of that inheritance for a little while? Listen to this stat. If this family were to combine it, $120 billion, If they were to spend $1 million per day, it would take them 328 years to exhaust their wealth. Kind of makes you sick, (laughs) just a little bit. But here's the good news. And no, I'm not going to give you a million dollars. This isn't Oprah. You know, no one's getting a car here. My hope for today is to inspire you from the scriptures that their $120 billion in wealth doesn't even come close to the amount of wealth that we are inheriting from our Heavenly Father. 328 years is nothing when put next to eternity. My prayer is that your eyes would be open to see every spiritual blessing that is yours in Christ Jesus. And when you are tempted with the world, you would choose Jesus every single time here's what you get because of the generosity of jesus christ and i'm going to build these i've really got three main points for this i'm going to build these two the best one in the end number four, number one we will be glorified with christ as part of our inheritance that simply means we're going to be made holy We're to be made glorious, not just see the glory of Christ, but actually be made glorious like Christ. Where do we get this? If you were to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, it says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the process of God making us holy, making us glorified, making us like Jesus, that for those whom he called, for those who love him, for those who trust him, for those who follow him, for those who deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Christ daily. For those, Christ is justifying. And not only is he justifying them, but he's also glorifying them. He is transferring them daily from one degree of glory to the next. He is maturing you daily to become more like Jesus. He's making you less sinful and more Christ-like. He's making you more holy. This is a part of the inheritance is that he is literally making you daily live out the fruit of the Spirit. That you are more joyful today than you were yesterday. That you're more patient today than you were yesterday. That that there's more kindness in you today than there was yesterday. Part of our inheritance is that we get to live in the freedom of what the fruit of the Spirit is producing in our lives daily to be able to say, it's not about me, but it's about others. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. That's the most freeing news you could ever hear is that it's not about you, but it's ultimately about Jesus. Jesus. There's a conformity to Christ, both morally and physically. And the glory we will have will be like the glory of Jesus. I love um, what Matthew says in thirteen forty-three: The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. As C.S. Lewis kind of uh, talks about it in regards to that verse, he, he puts it this way, in heaven we will scarcely look at each other without worshiping. Now, we're not looking at each other and worshiping one another, but we're looking at each other because we see one another in our glorified state, without sin, without blemish, these beautiful glorified bodies. It's impossible for us to not look at one another and worship God because of what He has created and what He has redeemed and what He has brought forth for us in the resurrection of Jesus, that we become like Him in His glorified So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to look at is what does it mean to be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ? Now, the reason I talked about glorification first is because we will not be able to handle the magnificent inheritance we will receive from God unless we have been glorified. If we were to receive it now, we would be crushed by it and would become idolaters. But once we are glorified, we will be fit to receive the inheritance of God. And so what is this inheritance? What is this being heirs with Christ of all things? In Romans chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the first thing we inherit from this verse is we inherit the world. 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23 says this, All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. We are fellow heirs with Christ. All that is his is ours because we are his and he is God's. All that God gives Christ. Christ gives to us. Jesus is not like an older brother who gets toys and is not willing to share them with his younger brother. Christ is literally, as he is receiving from God, is distributing to us because he wants us to receive all that is his. We are literally, as Romans 8 says, co-heirs with Christ in his inheritance. So the answer to the question, what will we inherit, is Everything. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. That's Matthew chapter 5. And the last time I checked in Genesis 1, there's nothing God did not create beyond the heavens and the earth. So in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God created that. Blessed are the meek, for theirs shall inherit the world. God created that. All that he created because of the resurrection of Jesus, is inherited to us, is distributed to us. We literally get to receive it. Purchased by the blood of Christ through faith in Jesus alone. Who needs $120 when you are inheriting everything in the known universe? When we are adopted into the household of God and He brings us home, the universe becomes our backyard to play in. I love what C.S. Lewis says here. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth only and you will get neither. Everything will be ours to serve our joy and the unending worship of God. Nothing will be perverted. Nothing will be distorted, but we'll all work together for our good and for our enjoyment from God. Then there's the next thing as part of our inheritance here. And this one's difficult. Romans eight seventeen says this, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, comma, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Anyone wish that that comma wasn't in there? Like, why can't it just be fellow heirs with Christ? Period. Not comma, provided we suffer with him. We will suffer with Christ. We will experience all kinds of hardship and pain in this life. One of the things I've been seeing right now on on many social media platforms is this, this idea of the uncommon opinion. I have an unpopular opinion, and I want to share what that unpopular opinion is. Here's the reality in Christianity is this is the unpopular opinion But truly, this is the unpopular fact that many churches, many Christians don't want to share because who would want to sign up for something that's also going to provide for them suffering as part of our inheritance? But here's the reality, and this is how I want to encourage you, knowing that when you become a Christian, it's not just... beautiful baby cherubs flying around, playing little, small, mini guitars every single day. It's not just this walking around where everything works out. There's circumstances that are going to come into our life that God is providing for us to suffer through. Because just as Christ had to suffer through His death in order to be resurrected, we too will suffer through before we are ultimately resurrected And ultimately, receive this inheritance and this glory. And I want to encourage you in this so that you're not shocked by it. So that you're ultimately not like, Where is God? What is He doing? But the fact that He is actually right there with you in the midst of your suffering. Romans 8, 18 through 23 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What is the suffering of this present time? It is all of the sufferings of our bodies, physically physically. Emotionally, spiritually, whatever you can think of that is causing you pain, that is causing you torment, is the suffering that we are walking through right now. And if we suffer it in reliance on Christ for the glory of God, it becomes then a suffering with Him. I don't think this is saying that there is a certain degree of persecution that you have to walk through. So don't go out trying to make enemies and making poor choices in order to suffer more. That's not what the scriptures are saying. This suffering is everything that we encounter in this life that includes putting to death the deeds of our own body. That's never a comfortable thing to do. But oftentimes it's a painful thing to do. Just like an alcoholic who quits drinking cold turkey and experiences the sufferings of withdrawals as he is healing and ultimately growing stronger. We are to repent of our sin while suffering the pain of withdrawals from those sins in complete and total dependence on Christ's strength and the Spirit's power. We suffer with him that we might be glorified with him. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians four seventeen: This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love that. Apostle Paul, at this point, looking at the glory that we are to receive and then comparing it to his affliction, starts to call it just light and momentary. Compared to eternity? Momentary. You hate your body? Momentary. You hate your character? Momentary. You hate your addictions? momentary and comparing it to the weight of glory it's light it's easy not burdensome we will be glorified with christ if we rely on him through this light momentary affliction so one we are going to be glorified with christ as the children of god two fit with that glory we will inherit everything and three we will get through suffering no other way those three inheritances i believe build to our greatest inheritance our greatest inheritance romans 8:15 says this for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out abba father Yeah, the the world is great. A glorified body would be great. But if you got the world and you got your new body, but you don't get Abba Father, you don't get God, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. The good news of the gospel isn't just that we receive an inheritance. The good news of the gospel is that we get God. We get him now. We get him in times of weakness and strength. We get him in times of sorrow and happiness. We get him in times that are low and times that are great. We don't just get a way of life. We get a person. We get righteousness itself. We get a holy and good person. We get Jesus. We get the helper, the Holy Spirit to walk with us and to hold us and to keep us as we suffer until Christ comes. We get the Father our earthly fathers could never be, no matter how terrible or great that they actually were. We get God now. And we get God for eternity. We literally receive as an inheritance, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we get as an inheritance, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God is our rest. He is our endurance. He is our weight of glory in the light and momentary affliction that we have. The reason why we have a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because we are receiving a living, breathing, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent King who is ruling and reigning the cosmos. Every macro and micro biological particle does not move without God's permission. I love that. Like we can rest in knowing that literally God is sovereign and in control of everything that is going on, including this pandemic that we're walking through right now, including the anxieties that are within your heart and within your minds right now. He literally knows not only the details of your life, but he has written out the days of your life. He knows how He's providing for you yesterday, how He's providing for you today, and how He's providing for you tomorrow because He's purchased it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is working all things out, including our salvation. He is our assurance. He is our protection. Listen to what He says in Jeremiah 32, 40-41. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. The everlasting covenant is our salvation. It's our reconciliation to God. And what kind of covenant is it? It's one in which God promises. He promises to never stop doing good to you. It's also an inheritance that we receive the ability to do good for God. Look at the last half of verse 40. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to rely on my willpower alone to believe, to trust, to turn to God. He actually plants that within my heart, the fear that is needed and the knowledge of him and the spirit of the Lord so that now I can wake up each morning and believe in Jesus. God did that. God did that. God, our inheritance, provides all that we need to receive all that he is. And guess what? He's happy to do it. He's happy to do it. He's not in heaven thinking, wow, like they're just so needy all the time. Give me a break once in a while. Like that's how the parents right now with the kids at home all the time are like, they're so needy. They just need me all the time. Like I don't ever get a break. The next verse in in Jeremiah says this God is speaking this over us. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land. I like to say, I will plant them in Indianapolis in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. We get the entire heart and soul of God planted within our heart and soul. And he's happy. It literally, God is rejoicing over the fact that he sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that we could not live. To die the death that we deserve and to resurrect, defeating sin, death, and evil, so that He can deposit that to our accounts, because we cannot do it on our own. That He gives it to us to receive as an inheritance, through faith in Christ. God is our God. He's our God every single day. We are His people, and He's making provision for us he's loving you that he's caring for you every single day this is our inheritance this is what we get to rest in every single day for those who live under the banner of the gospel of jesus christ nothing can move us nothing can shake us this is why the apostle paul was so frustrating to the officials and to the guards or anyone who tried to take his life he's like take it my life is christ to live is christ to die is gain It doesn't matter. If I'm alive and breathing and living, I'm living for Christ because I find joy in that and I find satisfaction in that. And if you kill me, great, I get to go be with Jesus. My eternity is secure and I'm going to be welcomed with arms open receiving an inheritance, receiving a glorified body, receiving the entire playground that is the universe that God provides for us. And even more than that, I get God. I get God. And so what I want to close with is the very same thing that I tell my sons every night before they go to bed. It's a little bedtime catechism that I've been telling my sons for the last several months that's age appropriate for them, but I want you to understand this simple truth. This is what I ask them. Did God make you? And sometimes I have to battle with them because they're like, no, but most of the time they get it right and they say, yeah. Yeah. Did God make you? Yeah. Does God love you? Yeah. Does God protect you? Yeah. Even more than daddy can? Yes. You're right. Now rest tonight knowing that the God who made the stars knows your name and will always love you and will always care for you no matter what, because he's purchased it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not based on your faithfulness. It's based on the faithfulness of God to you and what he's doing in your heart and in your mind every day. Believer, rest in that truth that God is God and that we have received him and that he's good and that he's happy, and that he is rejoicing in providing for us his love every single day. That's Easter. That's what we get to celebrate, not just once a year on a Sunday, but every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we thank you for this beautiful truth that we have in your gospel. We thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ and what he did that we could not do. And we thank you so much that the work that needed to be done in order to bring us into a relationship with you, as Jesus said on the cross, is finished. No more work is necessary. We simply receive it. So let us receive that grace today. For it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church?